This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Uh, we're going to start off our class. We're, we're talking today about Ma'os Sur. And I've got an amazing, amazing shear. For those who miss it, it's an amazing shear missing. <laughs> For those who are here, it's an amazing shear. Enjoy this shear. It's an amazing shear. I love this shear. Um, uh, it's amazing because we sing this Ma'os Sur. The Ma'os Sur was written in Germany. The time of the first crusade, around this first crusade, and it was a disaster. The, the crusades were a disaster for the Jews because these Christians were going on the way to the Holy Land to redeem the Holy Land from the Muslims, and on the way they would attack all the Jewish settlements across Europe. And they would kill as many as they could, and they would convert by the sword as many who, who ever wanted to convert. They would convert them by the sword, the rest they would kill. So it was a terrible time of disaster for the Jewish people, a thousand CE, around a thousand CE. There's even stories, legends about Rashi, Rashi's uh, mother. If you go to Worms today, you'll see there's a crevice in the wall. It says there was a there was a, a cart trying to knock her over, and she pressed against the wall, and a miracle happened on the wall bent. It's amazing. You can still see the crevice in the wall where the wall bent, where for Rashi's mother. So Rashi lived in the time of the Crusades. Terrible time for the Jews. And thank God he survived. And so the Bali Tosfot, his grandchildren also, they survived somehow. It was a disaster. It was a terrible time for Jews. And this is when this song was written. Mao Su was written around that period. Um, 11th, 12th, 13th century. Not sure exactly when it was written. It was written during the Crusades. Now what's interesting is we don't know exactly who wrote that song. But there is an acrostic um, in the song. The first letters of each stanza spells out the name Mordechai. So we know it's a guy called Mordechai. So Maosu starts with a Mem, and Raot Sabeanov Shir starts with a Resh, and the Vikotchul starts with a Dalit, and Karot Komat Prosh Bikesh starts with a Kaf, and the Yud is Yivanim So you have Mordechai, so that spells out Mordechai. And then if you look at the last stanza, Hasof Seroa, which was censored, which we're going to talk about, what was censored, it has spells out the letters Chazak, Chasof Zeroa Kochicha, Chet Zayin Kuf Chazak. So Mordechai Chazak, whoever that was, Mordechai Chazak, and Mordechai Chazak was the one who wrote this song. There's a whole big discussion who was Mordechai Chazak. So it could have been the Mordechai was mentioned in Tosfot in Nida 36a, or it could have been Mordechai whose father-in-law was martyred in Germany as part of the First Crusade. So we don't know exactly which Mordechai was. We know Mordechai wrote this. Song Mausur, which is interesting because this Mausur has been adopted by everyone. Sephardim, Ashkenazim, Yemenites, everyone around the world, every Jew around the world, they light the candles and they sing Mausur. So, what is the significance? It's such an important uh, song that everyone adopted. What is the significance of this song? And it's, it's beautiful. It's a significance is Jewish survival in the face of disasters. Jewish survival in the face of all these empires who try to destroy us. And we're going to do the last chapter, last stanza as well, which is amazingly, it was censored and has deeper meanings. So amazing, amazing uh, a song, the Ma'osur. And I uh, just want to go through it. It talks about the survival of Judaism through all these empires and all these troubles and all the persecutions that we survived. The miracle of Jewish survival is the Ma'asur. So every night when we celebrate the miracle of the candles, we're also celebrating the survival of the Jews. So we are celebrating survival of the Jews, and that's what the Ma'asur is all about. Let's go straight into it. 
If you have the Siddur in front of you or you have the words, I'm going to read the words to you. My, my, my rock, my strong rock, my rock of salvation. It's pleasant to sing your praises. In fact, we know that on, on Hanukkah, one of the things the rabbis fixed, they fixed the candles, but they also fixed Hallel They fixed saying Hallel every single day of Hanukkah, the whole Hallel. And that's, that's what we say in the first line of the Ma'al Surah. Number one is, Hashem, you are a strong rock. We survived because of you. You are the one who helped us survive through Jewish history. And you continue to help us survive. And it's pleasant to sing your praises. Where do we sing Hashem's praises? Every day of Hanukkah, we say the Hallel, so that's singing Hashem's praises. And then it says, Tikkun Beit Please, Hashem, let our house of prayer be restored. Which means the Beit HaMikdash, we're praying for the Beit HaMikdash to be restored. And over there, we'll bring our sacrifices of thanksgiving. So Bezrat Hashem, Hashem should restore our Beit HaMikdash. What for? So we can bring thanksgiving offerings to Hashem. Today, we can't bring thanksgiving offerings. The nearest thing we have is the Bracha HaGomel. When a person crosses the, the sea or he crosses in the an airplane or a person comes out of jail, there's a, there's a bracha to be said, hagomel, which is like a, a thanksgiving. A person comes out of hospital, it's a thanksgiving. A woman has a baby, thanksgiving. So hagomel is the thanksgiving. Closest we, we have to the thanksgiving offering is the bracha of hagomel. We pray in Maosu that we, we want to praise Hashem, we want to thank you, Hashem. So today we can praise Hashem, we can say hallel, but there's no mechanism to bring an offering of thanks. Or you can do is say a bracha which doesn't apply when we survive exile, but we festival, we have a festival, we can have a party, throw a party and say the very Torah, which is what we do on Hanukkah as well. Let's talk a bit about the second, the first stanza. And uh, we, where do you fix the matbeach mitzar haminabeach? When you use slaughter, matbeach is interesting. Matbeach is the word tabach. Tabach is uh, a butcher. When you butcher the enemies who bark at us. So when you butcher the enemies that bark at us, our enemies around the world, you know, it's interesting because uh, just before Hanukkah, the general, one of the generals of Iran says, we have to destroy Israel. We're going to destroy them. We're going to destroy the Zionist entity. We'll destroy all Zionism in the world. We're going to destroy them. So he came out with this. I said, you know, Baruch Hashem, he said that. Because everyone who says that, what happens to them is they get destroyed. So we're still around. And all these enemies through the centuries, you know, last century we had Nasser, who remembers Nasser, boy, we had uh, Saddam Hussein, uh, we had Ahmadinejad, all these that said we're going to destroy the Jews, and here we are, and where are they? So that's, whoever says we're going to destroy the Jews, sure, for sure, Hashem's going to get rid of them fast. So we will see our enemies being destroyed. And that's exactly what we say in the first stanza. When you slaughter the, the enemies who bark at us, so they're barking all the time, uh, threatening, threatening us, they're barking. Then we will celebrate with song and psalm the altar's dedication. So here we have a reference to the future Hanukkah. That now we're celebrating Hanukkah, which we're going to talk about. One of the mechanisms, one of the words for Hanukkah is Hanukkah Hamizbeach. They, they uh, dedicated the altar after the Greeks defiled the altar. You want to talk a bit about that when we talk about the history of Hanukkah? So we are, we're saying in the first stanza, we will celebrate with song and psalms the altar's dedication. So the first 
stanza is really a stanza we're praying to God for the future. It's a stanza which we're saying in the present, looking forward to the future of Israel Hashem. Hashem will destroy our enemies. Uh, he will rebuild the temple and we will dedicate the altar to Hashem and we'll bring our thanksgiving offerings and songs of praise. Israel Hashem, that's the first stanza, a very positive stanza. Now we're going back. The second stanza starts looking back at the past. And who do we start with? The first foe on a national level of the Jewish people was Pharaoh and Egypt. So the second stanza is referring to Pharaoh and Egypt. My soul was satiated with misery. We think about you will eat and be satisfied. We're satiated with food. Over here, we say a terrible line in, in this Ma'asurah. Evils satiated my soul. We were persecuted terribly. The Yagon with depression. My strength was spent. We were slaves in a foreign land to this mean king, Pharaoh, which we all know the story, which we reenact every Pesach, and they say there. And uh, they embittered my life with hard work. Enslaved under the rule of the Egla. Egel refers to a calf. It's interesting, calf worship. We know about the golden calf. It came from the Erev Rav, it came out of Egypt. So calf worship, sheep worship, goat worship, all done in Egypt. And so they call the, the kingdom of the calf. It's an amazing word for Egypt, kingdom of the calf. And it's one of the few places mentioned over here in the Masur. So it's referring to Egypt. But Hashem, with his mighty arm, with his big arm, we say, and we talk about this, the shank bone is the symbol of God's uh, outstretched arm. With his big arm, he took out the chosen people. He chose us and he separated us from the Egyptians and he took us out. So with his mighty army took us out of Egypt. Here we have Paro mentioned explicitly in the Mausur, the armies of Paro and all his uh, offspring, they went down like a stone into the sea, into the depths of the sea. So that's the second stanza that refers to the exile, the Egyptian exile. The third stanza. So here we're telling the history. Hashem brought us to his temple. Even there, I didn't find peace and quiet. There was no peace and quiet in the temple. Why? Because the oppressors came and exiled me. This is the first exile by the Babylonians. Because I worshipped strange gods. So we have over here the cause of the punishment. We have the punishment and the cause. The punishment was the oppressors came and exiled us. Why? Because we were serving Zarim. We were serving strange gods. And and drank poisonous wine is referring to also to idolatry. When we wish for idolatry, that's poisonous wine. It's going to kill us. It was a short exile. The Babylonian exile was only 70 years, a very short exile. Ketzbavel, Zerubavel. At the end of the exile, Zerubavel, who was a descendant of the Davidic line of kings, Zerubavel came and took us out of uh, Babylonian exile for the 40,000 odd Jews who came back to Israel from the Babylonian exile. The Ketz, Shivim, Noshati. I was redeemed after 70 years. So that is the Babylonian exile. And now we come to the third stanza Karot, Komat, Verosh, Pikesh. The Agagite, Agagi ben Hamedata, the Agagi, the son of Hamedata, who was no other than Haman, he wanted to cut us off. 
he wanted to cut down our tree, the tree of Israel. He wanted to cut down the tree of Israel. This is the story of Purim. Again, we're in the Persian exile now. And this Haman, the Agagite, that's what we're talking about, wanted to cut down our tree. But it proved to be a snare for him. He was caught in the trap that he was himself hung on the tree. So he wanted to kill Mordechai in the tree, and that became a snare for him. He was caught on the tree. Boy of Shemo Machita, and the enemy's name you blotted out. We have the mitzvah to play on the word. You will destroy the memory of Amalek. You hung him on the gallows with his many sons. So that was the story of Haman. That's the second, that's his third exile. So the first exile was Egypt, second exile, Babylon. Now we have the third exile of Persia. Under the Persians, nothing's changed really in the Middle East. Now we come to the fourth exile, Yevanim Likbetsualai. This is the story of Hanukkah, which is the fourth stanza of Mausur. Yevanim, the Greeks, gathered against me. These were not Greek Greeks, these were the Syrian Greeks. Alexander's kingdom was split into three parts when he died. He died very early. Uh, he nearly conquered the whole known world. Alexander, tremendous general, tremendous power, tremendous army uh, training. The Greek uh, method was uh, victorious over the Persians, even though they were a tiny army compared to the Persian army, which uh, were really 127 provinces, gave armies to the Persian massive army. Trouble is they couldn't communicate with each other. They all spoke different languages. So the Greeks, now we can understand the Greek situation. The Greeks conquered the Middle East, and, and there's three parts of the Greek Empire, Asia Minor, which is the Far East, and, and Iraq and Iran, and then you had the Northern Kingdom of the Syrian Kingdom, and then you had the Southern Kingdom in Egypt, the Ptolemies of Egypt. So the Seleucids were the Northern Syrian Kingdom. We're going to talk more about the history, led by the Antiochuses. That was their title, and the Ptolemies were in Egypt. The Ptolemy kings were in Egypt. That was their title, and they had a war. And Israel was right in the middle. So we're going to talk about that. The Greeks gathered against me. These are the Syrian Greeks. Azbi mei hashmanim. This is a play on the word shemen and also the hashmonaim. We're really talking about over here with the chet. It's talking about the hashmonaim. It calls them hashmanim. The hashmonaim dynasty. We're going to talk about them. They're the Maccabees. In the days of the Hasmoneans, the Greeks gathered against me. They broke down the walls of my towers. It's referring to the walls around Yerushalayim. The Gemara says they made 13 holes into the walls of Yerushalayim. So this way people could come and go, the, the armies could go in. And they, they desecrated the temple. They filed all the oil. This is the miracle of the oil. They defiled all the oil. And from the leftover of the oil, the one flask of oil which was left over, which was secure with the seal of the Kohen Gadol of Kashrut and Tumah, it was Tahor, it wasn't defiled, it was pure. Nasanes, a miracle happened, to the lilies or to the roses. We are the roses. Uh, the Jews are symbolized by roses in Shira Shirim. And we are the roses. That's, there's a lot of different. Uh, um, Symbolism in this Maosur. So we are the roses. B'nai Bina, B'nai Bina, the rabbis, the sons of understanding. They fixed eight days of Hanukkah, Shir Urnanim, songs and praises. So the eight days of Hanukkah, the rabbis fixed as songs and praises because of the miracle of the oil and the redemption from the siege of the, of the Greeks and the exile of the Greeks. Okay, now we come to the last stanza, which was, which was uh, 
very, which is unknown, pretty much unknown why it was censored. We're going to see why it was censored. It was censored by the non-Jews that time. And for many years, no one sung it, even uh, with different reasons. We're going to talk about different reasons. So let's talk about this. So number one is, we said there's an acrostic over here in the last stanza, which is the fifth stanza. Chasof zerua kochecha. What's chasof? Bear your holy arm. Chasof zerua kochecha. So this is the sixth stanza, sorry. Sixth six stanza, the last stanza. Bear your holy arm. Bekarev ketz ha And bring close to the end the salvation. So bear your holy arm, which means Hashem, show your strength, show your might in the world. And bring close the end and your salvation. The end of time, which is the salvation, the Mashiach, is rather shame. We will see this in our days. And what do you mean, bear your holy arm, show your strength, Hashem, to the world? Well, we said that the letters, Hasof Zeroa Kotshechas, starts with the letters Chet Zayin Kuf, which means Chazak. She said the acrostic in the, in the Mausur is Mordechai Chazak, the author. We don't know exactly who it was, but Mordechai. And he put his uh, acrostic in this in this beautiful song. Okay, so now there's a there's an underlying theme over here, which is going to tell you why it was. There's a couple of reasons why this stanza was censored. So here it says, "Karev Ketz Hayeshua." So "Karev Ketz Hayeshua" is normally translated as "Let the end of your salvation come close," um, which is very easy to interpret. We should see God's salvation very closely. And it's the end of time, the end of time if we know it. And that's what we pray for, that's what we sing for. But however, there's another underlying theme over here, which is Karev Ketz HaYeshua. Yeshua was JC, was the, the Christian world. Uh, his name was uh, Yeshua in Hebrew and Jesus in English. And we're praying over here, Karev Ketz of Yeshua. May the end of the Christians come. This is a terrible thing for us to say, peace, not PC. But if you can understand how much oppression they were living in Christian lands and how much blood was shed by the Christians, how much forced, forced conversions there were by the Christians right through the centuries, you'll see that this was a, a theme in the song, in this song. And this is one of the reasons why this song was, uh, the stanza was omitted for many centuries. Take the vengeance upon the wicked nation. This evil nation. Kiacha Hasha, you can't even say the name. Who is this evil nation? Again, another hint coming up. Kiacha Hasha, for deliverance has too long been delayed and the evil days are endless. In fact, 2,000 years later, and we're still being afflicted. Uh, Anti Semitism is ripe in Europe. The descendants of Esau, which we're going to come to in the last stanza. The Che Admon. Reject Admon. Who is Admon? The word Admon comes with Adom. Who is Adom? Adom ha Adom azeh. Edom was Esav. In Jewish uh, theology, Esav is Rome was a descendant of Esav. Romulus and Remus were descendants, direct descendants of Esav. And Rome were descendants of Esav, the Holy Roman Emperor, Holy Roman Empire. According to us, it was the evil Roman Empire. Malchut Harisha, we say in our prayers. May this evil empire be destroyed. So the evil empire was descendants of Rome, Holy Roman Empire, which eventually became Christian, 
And that's where we afflicted. That's why we afflicted by them tremendously before they became Christian. And after they became Christian, they destroyed the second temple, exiled us from Israel, sold hundreds of thousands of Jews as slaves in the Roman Empire. And so they call this evil nation. Who is this evil nation? So the clue is Admon. Who is Admon? The word Adom, Edom. The Edomites, who is the uh, descendants of Edom, Edom, Esau, is the Rome. But sell Salmon. In the shadow of Salmon, who is Salmon? It's referring to the Tselem they have. It's referring to the cross. So again, these hidden messages in the last paragraph. You know, it's interesting because the last, we, we don't really consider Hitler as a Christian, but the Hitler's uh, theology was based on Christian theology over the centuries. The idea of putting Jews where, where a, a star of David, that is an old Christian uh, thing. Separate the Jews, killing the Jews, eventually that is an old Christian thing. Put them in ghettos, put them in concentration camps. That's a very old Christian thing. Hitler got his theology straight from the Catholic Church. So today the Catholic Church are not anti-Semitic in name. And Baruch Hashem, thank God for that. And however, this uh, anti-Semitic is still ripe. It's ripe in the whole of Europe. I just read today about uh, Jewish uh, uh, young people celebrate Hanukkah, they're on a bus, and you can see this video, terrible video of these uh, probably, probably Arab descendants uh, attacking the bus and uh, spitting at them and all sorts of things. So, so anti-Semitism is still right in Europe. The descendants of Esau are still going. The Chei Admon, this is Edom, Admon, the Tzel Salmon with their cross, with their Tzelem, with their uh, idolatry. Akem Lanu Ro'im Shiva. Set up for us our seven shepherds. Now we know who the seven shepherds are. Bring back Hashem, bring back our seven shepherds. We, this is our seven guests on Sukkot, which are Abraham, Isaac, Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moshe, Aaron, Moses, and Aaron, Yosef, and David. Yosef was this week's parasha, and David Amelech. Hashem should bring them back, our shepherds, and so we can, they can look after us, <laughs> surrounded by all our enemies. And you, Hashem, show your mighty arm. And redeem us. So this is a beautiful, uh, this is a, a really beautiful song, which goes through Jewish history. And the idea is that we survive Jewish history. We're surviving Jewish history. It's not like we're making history and we're doing things, but just the fact that we're surviving is a miracle. So it's a praise of God of survival. It's also a praise of God to end this uh, last exile, which keeps on going. Israel is We're coming to the end of it. Israel is here. It's on the map. And there's rather shame. All you need to do is buy a ticket. So even then, you can get a free ticket from uh, Nefesh Benefesh. Okay, so let's go through a little bit of history of Hanukkah. The name Hanukkah has a few different meanings. Number one is from the word Chinuch or Hanoch. Hanoch, Chinuch is Hanukkah Tabait, Hanukkah Tamizbeach, is the meaning is dedication. The dedication of the altar. We said the Greeks, they came in and they defiled our temple. They didn't destroy the temple. It's interesting. They put up their idol in the temple, Zeus. They put the idol of Zeus up in the temple, and it caused tremendous aggravation among the Jews and mutiny eventually. It caused the mutiny of the Maccabees, which we're going to talk about, and they also offered up PIGs in the temple, which is like anathema to Jews, and therefore um, they just showed their disregard for God. They showed disregard for God, and they showed their disregard for Judaism, which caused this massive, uh, not so massive, but eventually became a massive uh, war against these Greeks, the Syrian Greeks. Okay, so that's the first answer. What is Hanukkah? Hanukkah is the dedication, dedication, rededication of the Mizbeach, the altar. 
Number two, Hanukkah stands for Hanu Cafe. They rested on the 25th of Kislev, which is when they ended the war against the Greeks. We're going to talk about this war. It's tremendously complicated, massive battle after battle after battle, miracle that we won. And, and then we come to the third uh, uh, meaning of Hanukkah is Chinuch, which is education. It's an educational experience, Jewish education. How do we educate? By showing people the miracle. You know, today, advertising is big business. How do we advertise? We advertise a miracle. People say, wow, what, what these candles represent? And the answer is they represent a massive miracle that God, God did for us 2,000 years ago, over 2,200 years ago. And people say, wow, God did a miracle. That's PR for God. That's PR. That's Pesume Nisa. And that is how you educate. We educate by showing God's power in the world. That's education. Education is by showing, show and tell. So show and tell, we like the Hanukkah. Hopefully people ask questions. Why we like the Hanukkah? Then we can tell the story of Hanukkah. We show the greatness of God, which is education. We can educate kids. That's exactly what we do on Pesach. Around the Seder we advertise God's power by the things we eat, the things we say, the Haggadah, telling the story. The whole bottom line is education. Hanukkah. Hanuch, Hinuch, education. So three meanings so far. Hanukkah is dedication of the altar. Hanu Cafe, they rested on the 25th of Kislev. That's when they won the final battle. And lastly is Hinuch, which is education. It's an educational time. It's a time for education. So kids see the candles, got to explain the story of what happened. What's the story behind the candles and the greatness of God? And we sing... This is the custom of the Sephardim. We sing Psalm 30 when we light the candles. Shir Hanukkah Bait. It's a song of the dedication of the house. Ashkenazim singing through the prayers. Uh, I was just at uh, Boston across the street and uh, they sang the, the Mizmor Shir Hanukkah Bait Arvid, Psalm 30 on Arvid of uh, tonight. Okay, so Arvid of Hanukkah, they sing this psalm which talks about the dedication of the temple. Okay. Which is interesting. So why 30? Why uh, Psalm 30? Because the 25th of Kislev plus the five books of the Torah equals 30, which is the number of the psalm. Okay, now how do we know the story of Hanukkah? There's a few sources. The most famous sources are usually Orthodox Jews is a Talmud, which uh, very briefly gives us a very brief synopsis of Hanukkah, which is brought down by the Rambam. But the biggest sources, uh, which are not so widely known, are the book of Maccabees. Yeah, Maccabees 1, Maccabees 2, different books about the story of the Maccabees. And then there's also the account given by Josephus Flavius, who was a Jew who became a Roman historian. So he writes in his book of history, uh, the history of the Jews, and he gives us the story of Hanukkah. So I'm going to go through some of these sources. So the eight-day rededication of the temple is described in Maccabees 1. Though the miracle of the oil does not appear here. Okay, there's a story similar in character and older in date is alluded to in Maccabees 2, according to which the relighting of the altar in the time of Nehemiah was due to a miracle which occurred on the 25th of Kislev. So according to Maccabees 2, it was a time of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah brought back the exiles from Babylon, that's when the miracle took place. It wasn't a miracle of the menorah, it was a miracle of the altar lights lit up, maybe as well. So there's two reasons for Hanukkah. One is our reasons, our modern reasons, which is the lighting of the, of the mineral lasted for eight days. 
And there's another reason given Maccabees 2, which is when Ezra brought back the exiles from Babylon about 2,400 years ago, around 2,300 years ago, um, the, uh, the light came back on the altar from heaven. The light on the altar came back, the fire on the altar was lit by heaven. Okay. But again, Maccabees 1 and Maccabees 2 portray the feast as a delayed observation of the eight-day feast of Sukkot, which is interesting. So the connection to eight days is Sukkot, that's what Gemara says as well. Just like they celebrate eight days on Sukkot, we're going to find Beit Shammai. He says, with a big debate, Shammai and Hillel, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, do you light eight candles the first day and go down, which is the opinion of Beit Shammai, and he learns it from Sukkot. Or do you light one candle and go up, which is the opinion of Beit Hillel, because it has a very interesting rule, Ma'alin Bakodesh, we go up in holiness and we never go down in holiness. So that's the opinion we follow. We follow the opinion of Beit Hillel. We go up in holiness. We don't go down in holiness. We start with one and we go up to eight. Why? Because the second day was a bigger miracle than the first day. The fact that this candle, this, this uh, oil, a flask of oil lasted one day was natural. The second day was a miracle. Third day miracle. Fourth day was a bigger miracle. And that's why we light an extra candle every single day. Okay, it's also the idea of going up in holiness, not going down. You don't go downwards in something holy. You go upwards in something holy. Megillat Tanit, which is a, a very interesting ancient book before the Mishnah, writes about the holy days in Jewish history, which are happy days. And most of them we don't celebrate anymore because uh, there's no happy day with no tragedy which happened on the same day, unfortunately, which canceled out the happy day. But it says that two festivals still remain on the happy days, and those are festivals should not be cancelled, even with troubles which happen on them. Hanukkah and Purim. Purim and Hanukkah will be continually through the generations we've seen through Jewish history the last 2,000 years and so. We've been celebrating Hanukkah and Purim. Those are the happy days. So the Migratani, it says, on the 25th of Kislev, Hanukkah, eight days, one is not allowed to eulogize. So obviously nothing bad. Uh, you shouldn't say anything. Eulogies don't make people cry. On Hanukkah, it's a happy day. The Mishnah mentions Hanukkah in several places. One of the interesting places is in Baba Kama. The Mishnah says, laws of damages. Baba Kama, laws of damages. It talks about if a camel is carrying straw and passes by a person's store. The camel is carrying straw on its back. And the straw is obviously very heavy and weighted across the camel. That's going over the sides of the camel and a straw goes into someone's store. In those days, there's no glazing. There was no glass and it lights a fire. The straw catches fire in someone else's store. The storekeeper is patur. He's not liable. The owner of the camel is liable. Why? Because the owner of the camel should make sure the camel's store should not go into someone else's store and catch fire. So that is the first part of the mission. The second part of the mission says, however, if the owner of the, of the store puts his candle outside the store and the straw catches fire because of the candle outside the store, then the owner of the store is liable because he put the fire outside the store. He should have put it inside the store. However, if it's Hanukkah and he likes his Hanukkah candles outside the store, he is not liable because he's meant to put the Hanukkah candles outside the store. So we have a reference to Hanukkah in a law, totally tangential, tangential law dealing with the laws of damages that you should put the Hanukkah outside the store. And that's what we do in Israel. We put the Hanukkah outside the house. People buy these glass cases so the wind will not blow them out. And they light the Hanukkah outside. So if a person doesn't have a window facing the street, 
the next best thing is to light the Hanukkah candles outside. So that's what a lot of people do that. You pass the street, you see a lot of Hanukkah candles placed outside the houses, which are apartment buildings. So a lot of apartments are too high to light the Hanukkah in the, can in the, in the window. You're restricted to 30 feet high, and therefore they light the Hanukkah candle outside the, 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 uh, the, the building. Okay. The Mishnah, we said, mentioned in several places. And there's a big discussion. How come the Mishnah does not dedicate a tractate to Hanukkah? We find there's a whole Mishnah dedicated, a whole tractate to Purim, Megillah. There's no tractate of Hanukkah. And it's interesting. Wherever the rabbis made laws, they wrote a whole tractate about the laws. So why is there no tractate of Hanukkah? There's a few reasons. Rabbi Rav Nisan Gaon, which is one of the Geonim in Babylon, towards the end of the first millennia, Rav Nisan Gaon postulated the information of the holiday was so commonplace. In other words, everyone knew about Hanukkah. The rabbis did not feel they needed to write a whole Mishnah about Hanukkah. It was so well known. The holiday was so well known. Um, other reasons, number one is that the Jews were scared to talk about a revolt. There was time the Romans, the Romans were destroying us. And we're going to talk about how we won the war against the Greeks. So the Mishnah did not advertise this fact that we won the war against the Greeks and we rebelled. We don't to give any Roman information that we're plotting any wars or rebelling. There was enough rebellions as it were with the Bar Kokhva, etc., that we will make sure that they don't know anything about rebellions and how we were victorious against the Greeks. We don't want to antagonize the Romans. There's a lot of different reasons. Anyway, so there's no tractate about Hanukkah. There's like two and a half pages of Talmud in Shabbat. When the Talmud talks about uh, the, the lights of Shabbat, it talks about what candles you can use, what wicks you can use, what oil you can use for Shabbat. It also talks about, the Talmud over there discusses what wicks and oils you could use for Hanukkah. That's where it talks about Hanukkah. And that's the, the idea that the miracle lasted for eight days. The oil lasted for eight days is in this Talmud in Shabbat. And uh, Thomas says, after the forces of Antiochus IV had been driven from the temple, the Maccabees discovered almost oil, the ritual oil had been profaned. They found only a single container that was sealed by the high priest with enough oil to keep the menorah and the candle lit for eight days. So they used it and it burned for eight days. So it could only light for one day. And the miracle was it lit for eight days. That's the time it took to have new oil pressed and made ready. So Talmud presents three options. The law, so it's interesting, it's a very strange, one of the very strange halakhas where there's three different levels of mitzvah. Normally you do the mitzvah and that's it. There's a basic mitzvah and there's a hidur mitzvah, which is a more beautiful mitzvah. You can buy a basic etrog or you can buy a beautiful etrog. You can buy a basic uh, tefillin or buy a beautiful tefillin. However, the laws of Hanukkah, there are three levels of mitzvah. There's the basic mitzvah, which is one candle for each house. Now, this is interesting. You don't find a single Jew who lights one candle every night. It's just not done. We don't do the basic mitzvah. However, we find there is a custom among the non-Jews, but the Catholics, to light one candle in the window around the same time. It's very fascinating. This is, was the basic mitzvah. I'm sure the Jews of those days who couldn't afford candles, who couldn't afford the oil, they would light one candle a night. That was the most basic mitzvah, which no one does today. The second mitzvah is one candle for everyone in the house. So sometimes you'll see two candles in the window, three candles in the window, one candle in the house. That's a second level mitzvah, which is a Hebrew mitzvah. And the third level mitzvah is what we do today is every night we have an extra mitzvah, extra candle. So Friday, it's only one person in the house does this. The parent, usually the father of the house does it. 
or the mother of the house does it. Um, and uh, but Ashkenazim, every single person in the house lights an extra candle every night. So that is the Hidur Mitzvah. It's a Hidur Mehadrin Mina Mehadrin, the highest level Mitzvah, second level, highest level Mitzvah. So it's amazing that the most, whatever, every Jew in the world probably does this Mitzvah in the most highest level, the Hidur, the biggest Hidur of the Mitzvah. So that is part of what we do on Hanukkah. And the second thing we do is say the Al-Nisi prayer, which we do in the Shemona Estre, and also in the Bikar Amazon. Don't forget it. Very important, very beautiful prayer about praising God. But we do mention the physical victory. So it's not just, you know, people say the miracle of the oil. What about the miracle of the victory? And that's mentioned in Al-Nisi. Al-Nisi mentions that Hashem delivered the many into the hands of the few, the mighty in the hands of the weak, which is interesting. Why were the Maccabees considered weak? And the answer is every Jew is weak. Why? If you do 613 commandments, you get up early for the minyan and you go to learn Torah and, and you go to work as well, you're going to be exhausted at the end of the day. So <laughs> it weakens a person and therefore you deliver the, the mighty in the hands of the weak, which is a tremendous miracle, the many in the hands of few. And uh, the God-fearing uh, took over, Baruch Hashem, the God-fearing one. It's a big miracle. That's mentioned in Al-Nisim. And the third thing we do is we we sing Hallel every single day in the morning prayers. We sing the whole Hallel with two brachot, one before, one after. And that's a tremendous thing. So I just want to give you a little bit of the history. And this mentioned Al-Anissim in the days of Matit Yahu, the son of Yohanan, the high priest, the Hasmonian, Hasmonian and his sons, when the evil Greek kingdom stood up against your people Israel to cause them to forget your Torah. The Greeks were not trying to kill us. They were trying to make us Greek. They're trying to Hellenize us. Um, they tried to make us forget our Torah. And what happened is to abandon the ways you desire. They, they wanted to break our mitzvot. They wanted to break our Torah observance. You in your great mercy stood up for them in the time of trouble. You fought their fight. You judged the judgment. You took their vengeance. You delivered the mighty into the hands of the weak, the many into the hands of the few, the impure into the hands of the pure, the evil into the hands of the righteous the sinners into the hands of those who engage in your Torah. You made yourself a great and holy name in your world. This miracle really advertised the power of God. And for your people, Israel, you made great redemption and salvation as is this very day. And then your sons came to the inner chamber of your house, cleared your temple, purified your sanctuary, lit candles in your holy courtyard, and established eight days of Hanukkah for thanksgiving and praise to your holy name. So here we do in the Nisim, we do mention this great, Physical victory. So Josephus, uh, which we said was the great uh, uh, Roman historian, Jewish historian, he also tells us the narrative of what happened. He says, Yehuda Maccabee ordered lavish yearly eight-day festivals after rededicating the temple in Yerushalayim that had been profaned by Antiochus IV. Now, he doesn't say this festival is called Hanukkah. It says it was called the Festival of Lights. You know, the alternative name for Hanukkah is, is Chag HaOrim, the, the Festival of Lights, or Horim. Chag HaOrim, the Festival of Lights in Israel is very popular. That's the name given by Josephus. That it's called Chag HaOrim. And uh, he celebrated the festival, the restoration of the sacrifice of the temple for eight days. And he feasted them upon very rich and splendid sacrifices. He honored Hashem by delighting them by hymns and psalms. And they were so glad at the revival of their customs 
after such a long time intermission. Now it's interesting, we see the Greeks abolish the temple service for a long time. Don't say how long. They unexpectedly had regained the freedom of their worship and they made it a law for their posterity that they should keep a festival on account of the restoration of the temple's worship for eight days. So this Josephus does not mention the miracle of the candles, of the lights. He mentions the miracle of the fact that the Jews got back the temple, rededicated the temple uh, after the, the Persian, the, uh, the Greek persecution and defilement of the temple. So this is amazing. We have different accounts of what happened. And there's another account which seems to say it was first a civil war among the Jews, which is normally the case. What happens is when the Jews fight each other, that's when the enemies come in. So what happened was there were religious Jews and there were Jews who were Hellenistic Jews. There were some Jews who were Hellenistic Jews. Unfortunately, there were two groups already at that time. The Kohen Gadol was alternating between a Hellenizer and a religious Kohen Gadol. So you had um, Judea was part of the Ptolemaic kingdom of Egypt until 200 BCE when King Antiochus III of the Syrian Empire came and conquered and defeated King Ptolemy the, the, the fifth of Egypt at the Battle of Panium. Judea then became part of the Seleucid Empire of Syria. King Antiochus III wanted to conciliate his new Jewish subjects. He guaranteed their right to live according to their ancestral customs, this Antiochus III, and to continue the practice of their religion in the Temple of Yerushalayim. However, in 175 BCE, Antiochus IV, the son of Antiochus III, invaded Judea at the request of the sons of Tuvia. Tuvia wanted to be the high priest. Tuvia was the head of the Hellenizers among the Jews. He wanted the, the uh, Seleucide uh, Greeks to come in and convert the Jews to Greek philosophy and Greek culture. And therefore he invited Antiochus IV to come in and take over Israel, which is terrible. We see how terrible it was. And what happened was, for sure, the king was, came with his great army and took the city of Yerushalayim by force. He slew a great multitude of Jews who favored Ptolemy, the king of Egypt, over him. And he banned the Milah circumcision, Rosh Chodesh, and the Torah learning Torah. He, he ordered an altar to Zeus erected in the temple, and he ordered pigs to be sacrificed at the altar of the temple. He knew he wanted to to destroy the Jewish religion. He wanted to make sure the Jews would not be Jews. The Jews would follow Greek custom, Greek law, and Greek theology. Antiochus's actions pr provoked a large-scale revolt. Matityahu, a Jewish priest, the Kohen, and his five sons, Yohanan, Shimon, Elazar, Yonatan, and Judah, led a rebellion against Antiochus. It started with Matityahu killing the first Jew who wanted to comply with Antiochus's order to sacrifice to Zeus. And he took on the, the, the Greek army, the might of the Greek army. His son, Yehuda, took over after Matityahu, and he was known as Yehuda Maccabi. Of course, the Maccabi, Maccabi is a hammer, but it's also Maccabi stands for Mi Kamocha Ba'elim Hashem, who is like you among the gods Hashem, which is interesting. It's in the Song of the Sea, which we sing every day in the morning, which was sung when, uh, when the Jews saw Pharaoh descending into the depths of the sea. And one of the lines is Hashem, which also the the, uh, the, word, the letters used for Maccabi. Maccabi, that was his battle cry. And therefore he became known as Maccabi. That's an alternative reason why it's called the Maccabi. 
And according to the Talmud, when the Greeks entered the sanctuary, they defiled all the oils. And when the Hasmonean dynasty prevailed against them and defeated them, they made search and found only one cruise of oil, which lay with the seal of the Kohen Gadol. It contained only enough oil for one day, and it lit for eight days, miracle. And that's how the uh, uh, Rambam and his Rambam also brings down, interesting, he brings down, it's one of the few places where he brings down the reason, the historical reason, the festival of Hanukkah, Rambam talks about history of Hanukkah. Why does he talk about history of Hanukkah? Well, he doesn't talk about history of Purim, so Rav Salavechik says, beautiful idea, he says, Purim is a Megillah, we have a book in our Torah. But Hanukkah, there's no book in our Torah, and therefore the Rambam felt necessary to write down the history of Hanukkah so that Jews would know the history of Hanukkah for posterity. Okay, I just want to give you a few of the battles. It's interesting that uh, people don't know how many battles there were. Okay, let's just go very quickly. The first battle was Yudah Maccabi against the force of Nicanor which is interesting, which is uh, just brought down in Dafyomi, in, uh, in uh, Tanit, I think it's Dafkaf, talks about Nicanor, who, uh, who uh, wanted to destroy the Jews, and Hashem destroyed him. So, Bezrach should not happen to all our enemies. Whoever wants to destroy us should be destroyed, or do Teshuvah. There are two choices, either do Teshuvah, or get destroyed by Hashem. And so, Maccabees, number one, Battle of Adassah, Battle of Beit Horom, Battle of Beit Zechariah. That's where Eliezer the Maccabee was killed under a lion, under, sorry, under an elephant. Battle of Beit Sur, the Tema. Battle of El Asa, that's where Yudah Maccabee died in the battle. Battle of Emmaus, Battle of Wadi Haramia. So eight battles. This was a massive war taking place over many years until finally they win the last battle. And Shimon, one of the last surviving sons of Matijahu, takes over and becomes the governor of Israel. That's when finally Jews have some kind of independence. Baruch Hashem. And we have to remember two heroines of Israel, Yudit, who got rid of one of the generals of, uh, of uh, the Greeks, and Hannah and her seven sons, who unfortunately were martyred by this Antiochus IV, who wanted them to bow down to his idol. And each son refused. And then Hannah committed suicide. She saw her sons being killed in front of her eyes, and she also jumped over. So we remember the martyrs of, uh, of Israel who gave their lives for us to be here today. Baruch Hashem, we are here today. And the martyrs of Israel through the century, I've dedicated this class to the martyrs of Israel through the centuries who gave their lives so Judaism could survive. And in, in honor of the Hashmanaim, in honor of the five sons of Matzion, Matzion is five sons. And also I'd like to dedicate this class in memory of my aunt Flo, Whose yard site was today. So Bezrashim have uh, should have an Ilui Nishama. So I wish you all happy, healthy Hanukkah and uh, Shalom from Yushalayim Irakodesh. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.